Welcome or welcome back to Lift You Up Inspiring Health Stories. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham. I am the founder and chief storyteller of TB Media Group. And for the purpose of this podcast, I am your health and wellness matchmaker. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube. It's right there. It's really small, but you can find it. And connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd really appreciate it, and I'd love to connect with you. Today, you're going to meet Adrian Molina. He is the founder of Warrior Flow and Warrior Flow Foundation. And we're talking all about giving back. He's doing great work in this community and providing access to yoga to underserved communities. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is not just a want. It is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses. Lift You Up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same. From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. Well, I'm really excited today to be joined by Adrian Molina, who is the founder of Warrior Flow and Warrior Flow Foundation. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Tamika, for having me. Well, first of all, before we jump on into your story, which I know is really interesting, I want to ask how you're doing, because before we just hit record on this episode, you did share with me that you tested positive for COVID-19 a couple of weeks ago, along with your husband. So I just want to know how you're doing and how you're feeling. Thank you for asking. I'm doing better every single day. It's been definitely an interesting experience. A funny fact about the the testing and, and all the symptoms that I went through, I didn't think that what I had was COVID-19. I was pretty much having headaches. And, and so my husband had the brilliant idea of bringing, bringing our essential oils, our doTERRA oils, and he put the lavender under my nostril. And he said, do you smell lavender? And I was like, uh-uh. And then he brought peppermint. And he asked me, do you smell peppermint? And I said, no. So we went like that for like five or six different uh, scents from and essential oils. And you realized orders. you didn't have uh, scent. And I still don't have. And it's really? been more than a month and two weeks and I still haven't recuperated my sense of smell. But that was the first thing that I realized that, uh, okay, this, this obviously is COVID-19. What I was experiencing was headaches and nausea. And after I got tested and the result came positive, then for about four to five days, it was, it was the, the, the worst part. Um, what I felt back then was shortness of breath to the point that sometimes in the middle of the night, I would wake up feeling like I couldn't take a full breath. But it never got to a point, thank God, that I needed to go to a hospital. Um, I never developed a fever. Um, perhaps uh, a mild runny nose or uh, achy throat, but the main symptoms were, and they still are, uh, severe headaches, migraines, and, and more re- most recently, a lack of uh, energy, particularly towards the end of the day. Yeah. But uh, I'm doing much better and I'm back to work, and so I'm very appreciated, and I'm, and I'm trying to use that, uh, 
the experience. I'm being very uh, outspoken online and social media because whoever goes through that needs to share the experience because we still have those few who think that this is a, a lie or this is not real. And it's important for, for my community, for the community that I represent, that they know that the threat is real and it can happen to anyone. Right, right. And unfortunately, you know, I would agree with you that it's more than a few that I've even heard from who I know that don't feel like this is real or a real threat or it's being overblown. And I think it's one of those things until it impacts you directly, which it shouldn't be that way, that you take it seriously. And I think it's important we all take it seriously, because right now at the time of that we're recording this, we are really like the epicenter of this here in Miami-Dade County in Florida. I think I read the numbers this morning from yesterday, which I think were over 15,000 new cases. And it has been consistent for the last week at that, at that level. And it's kind of alarming. It's, it's, it's worrisome. I was also talking to some of my clients from New York who actually decided to leave Florida because they're at risk. Uh, they're at risk because of their age and then and their health condition. So they decided to go back to New York. And interesting enough, they feel safer in New York because in New York, the pandemic was managed completely different than has been managed here in Florida. And I also know that a lot of people think, okay, I got COVID-19, now I'm negative and I'm, I'm okay. Now I can go out and, and live my best life like if nothing happens. We, that, that's not even the case. I would say that even if you test negative, like I did twice already, you have to be extremely, extremely careful. Right. Um, because yeah. the research isn't there. They just don't know enough yet to say, hey, you can't get it again. Um, yeah. It's, it's one of those ever-evolving situations. There's, there, I think that it's not only that there's not a lot of research, but there's a lot of nonsense. <laughs> if at least we stick to the little research that we know, okay, wear a mask, wash your hands, social distancing, and people will stick to that, it will be wonderful. As I was mentioning to you, I moved to a new place very recently, but the previous building that I was living at was a high-rise um, here in Miami, and very few people were using masks on, on the elevators. And even when I was recovering from COVID-19, it was a very uh, interesting situation for me to be on the side of, I am the one who was tested positive, and I am the one who's worrying about you entering the elevator, entering the elevator without a mask. And where usually is the other way, you know, someone walks into the elevator and you're like, uh, you know, you feel that you're going to get something. But for many, many uh, days, it was the other way around. So it's been a very interesting situation to see how people approach friends of mine who um, they took it very lightly at the beginning until it got serious. And then I had the friends of mine who I love and they were making fun of me because from day one, I was extremely careful. I was the one, the first one who, as soon as I could get one or two gallons of hand sanitizers, I got it <laughs> and I order every single type of mask for every day, every, every day of the week. And friends of mine who I work with or people that I know more than friends at shelters, homeless shelters, they didn't get it. And so they look at me like, but oh, wait a minute, you were the one who was being the, the most cautious and the one who were using sanitizer all the time. And then 
nonetheless, it happened. I'm certainly glad that you and your husband are feeling much better and you're doing okay. Thank goodness for that. But I definitely want to learn more about your story because I think it's really relevant and how you help people right now. So kind of take us through the journey and your path and how you started and where you are now. Thank you. So um, I was born and raised in Argentina and um, at age 21, I decided to move to the United States. I moved to Miami. And as soon as I moved to Miami, I bumped into yoga. I never heard from yoga, what yoga was before. So long story short, within a year or two of being in, in the States, I, I became a yoga teacher. Um, I was immediately hired by Equinox and I'm still employed by Equinox. Uh, and, and so I became a yoga teacher. After a couple of years of teaching yoga, uh, my boyfriend back then, he was born and raised in Miami and he hated it, Miami. And he wanted to go back to New York. He, that was his main city. And I was like, okay, I'm young, I'm on my twenties. Everyone says that you have to live in New York at least once in your life. And I said, <laughs> you know what, let's go to New York. So of course we broke up and I was in New York teaching for Equinox. <laughs> and so I spent, approximately 10 years in New York. And it was the most amazing experience because I became an adult in New York. I became aware of what my passion was. And so that was the beginning of kind of opening my mind to, to understanding that there's a lot of people who can actually afford yoga while there's a lot of people who actually they cannot afford. And yoga, although we see yoga happening in jails and happening in a lot of different places, still something that is not accessible for everyone. So with those thoughts percolating in the back of my head, um, after 10 years, I felt that New York, I was getting older. I was getting much older because of the pace of the city. I was teaching five, six classes a day and seeing clients. So. I met my husband, we got married, and then we start thinking in the future. So where do we see living in the future? Um, where is it that we're gonna get our, our quality, a better quality of life instead of being on the train every day? And so we decided to move back to Miami about four years ago. And when I moved to Miami was when I, the feeling of opening a nonprofit kept coming into my, into my heart. And I kept having the feeling I need to open a nonprofit so November last year, November 2019, I founded the Warrior Flow Foundation. And our main mission is to ignite social change by bringing programs. Um, they, they could be yoga programs, movement programs, uh, um, meditation programs, sound therapy programs to anywhere from doctors, and we have a program at the Mount Sinai Hospital, nurses and social workers, and we offer that to Jackson Behavioral Health. And particularly one demographic that, I don't know why has always been a soft spot in my heart, it's just the homeless community. Um, last year, I worked for about eight months at Lotus House, which is one of the largest female shelters in Miami, in Overtown, Miami. And so by getting that experience, the homeless community became very dear to me because I, I saw what they go through mentally, financially, um, 
and all the, the the beliefs that people have about homelessness and and how wrong we are when we think when we see someone as a homeless, all the, the judgment that goes through our heads without not necessarily knowing their stories. So that was a big motivation to open the nonprofit. And I would say that besides all these programs that we're offering to schools, shelters, we also have a program for with the Miami Beach Police. And we were supposed to launch this program around spring break. And as you know, after spring break, everything went bananas. <laughs> and so they're they're they don't have to that they don't have time to do yoga, which I understand why they're taking care of us. So we have several programs and new initiatives through the foundation. And another population that we're moving forward to serve, and it's very dear to me, is uh, elderly. So I'm also an end-of-life doula, which is the person who uh, shows up to hospice when the person has the prognosis of death with a patient. And you can sit with them and you can go through different different activities or exercises. So at least for the last few moments of their lives, they have perhaps, depending on the person and the situation, some kind of closure. And sometimes that involves the family, sometimes involves the friends, sometimes involves calling someone that they haven't spoken in many years. And I think that main demographic and that main uh, uh, intention of me reaching out is because three years ago, I lost my mom due to um, a heart attack and she was in Argentina back then and I spent a whole month taking care of her being her main caregiver and I think that when I came back to Miami after losing my mom is when all the pieces of what life is what's my mission in life how do I see myself living the next half of my life and how can I be of service? All of those questions become to the surface to the point that I needed to take action. So the Warrior Flow Foundation came, came as a result of all those life experiences that I was going through. I think for a lot of us, we have realizations when someone we love who's close to us passes, it kind of brings a lot of those feelings to the surface. Uh, I want to go back to something that you said a little bit earlier, um, and I think you were saying that this was a way that you felt several years ago about yoga not being accessible to everyone. Two questions about that. Why do you think that is, and do you still believe that to be true today? I believe that is true more than ever today. Yoga has become a mainstream industry. Uh, it's an industry, I can remember the latest statistics about how much money yoga does a year, at least in the United States. You don't see a lot of yoga studios outside of neighborhoods that are wealthy. You don't see a lot of yoga studios in Overtown, Miami. You don't see a lot of yoga studios outside of the city. You don't see a lot of yoga studios outside of main roads. In fact, the first time that I show up to Camila's house to teach, which is a large large percentage of uh, African-American population. I, I showed up and I was presented as a yoga teacher. And one of them looked at me and said, is that the thing that white people do? And so there's a lot of race uh, associated with yoga. 
the main demographic that appeals to yoga and there's studies and statistics about that is white women and so when you have that understanding and in particularly when you come from a background like i do which for more than 15 years i've been teaching in a high-end fitness studio that charges approximately 200 dollars a month you realize that not everyone can afford that I have the privilege of being able to teach and I'm very thankful to teach at this place. But what do I do with that privilege? And so that's why the intention of bringing yoga to these other places. What I ended up doing is continuing to teach yoga. And instead of calling it yoga, many times I call it um, stress reduction because it's something that could be related to everyone or stretching because everyone knows that if, if they stretch, they can ease the lower back pain. In fact, for before COVID-19, I was partnering with Exchange for Change, which is another nonprofit who offers writing programs in jails. So twice a week I was going to jail and teaching yoga and I was presenting, presenting it as a stress reduction. But it's gonna take a while for us to, to see that the, the potential of yoga can make a difference on, on the on our jails. When you go to a hospital and you teach a yoga class to medical residents and they all show up dressed like if they're working and you see the effects of the practice, you realize, wow, this is more than just a class that I can take in a yoga studio to feel happy about it. Right. You just said that it's not accessible to everyone, maybe even more so than ever. So why these groups, as far as hospitals, um, jails, the homeless, like you mentioned, Camilla's house, Lotus house. Why is it so important that these groups have access to yoga? Because these are the populations that are at most risk in our society. These are the populations that are going through the most difficult chapters in their lives. Teaching to inmates has been so important to me because I never walked into a jail before. I never had anyone in my close environment to be sentenced. And so I had the possibility of the last year to go to jails twice a week, uh, a state prison and a state prison and a federal prison. And you talk to them and yet I don't know what they're there for and I don't wanna know unless they share. And you realize that these are people that for the most part, and I don't wanna generalize, but for the most part, they're looking for redemption and they're looking for a second chance. And that's something, that's a pattern that is repeated in the shelters. People are looking for second chances. So when you go- And I think for purpose too. Yes, for purpose. And, and when you give them that, then I think that's what makes a society better. That's what it makes a society full of citizens that are committed to what they do. I met the most wonderful people in shelters. For me, after being in that part of this and that side of yoga for so many years, I'm more interested in going to the places where not a lot of people want to go, not a lot of teachers want to go, and try to bring a sense of hope, connection, and union, which is ultimately the meaning of the word yoga, union. And, pro and maybe for an hour or two, um, provide a sense of comfort and let these people, they're not forgotten. 
How do you see yoga impact the lives of some of those in, in those communities? Exchange for Change, which is a wonderful organization uh, run by a friend of mine. Her name is Kathy. The first time that she took me to, um, I don't remember, it was a state or federal prison. A group of 35 inmates show up all wearing blue and they grab the chairs and and we, do a, we did a big circle. It was the area where usually they, on the weekends, they, um, they see their families and their friends. And so there was a huge circle of 25, 25 to 35 inmates. We talked about what yoga is. We talked about the levels of stress. We talked about movement. And I ended up teaching an accessible type of yoga that some of them could do on the chair and some of them could do on the yoga mat. And at the end of the practice, one of them came walking to me. And you know me, an inmate is approaching you and you're like, oh my God, what's gonna happen? Was this typical stereotype of someone that you imagine on a jail. Tall, big muscles that you couldn't even see his neck, tattoos all over the place, uh, scary looking face. And he came very close to me. My knees were kind of shaking a little bit. And he extended his hand. He shakes my hand and he says, I just want you to know that you're the best thing that has happened to me in prison. He got teary. I got teary. And I, it, took me, it took me 48 hours to actually uh, understand what, what I said that I was feeling and understand the fragility of that moment in time where he opened up in a way that a man is not allowed to open in prison because survival is the main MO. And so for me, that was a, a big wake up call and it helped me to break some of the judgments and misconceptions that I have about any underserved population, not only inmates, but homeless, mental health. I'm sure it solidified to a certain degree that what you were doing and are doing is the right thing. Yeah, it's just, you mentioned that word purpose. I mean, I think purpose is something that goes both ways. You find your purpose when you help others to find theirs. And mm purpose and hope they go hand in hand and for me it's not really important these days if i am giving you purpose or hope through meditation yoga a breathing technique or just simply by listening to you um, i understand that the main lack that we have in our society is from connection so i want to ask you about trauma-informed yoga what is that? What does that mean? So the way that uh, do, you, do you usually take yoga classes? Have you taken yoga classes? I have taken yoga, but I'm not okay a not. regular. Yeah, okay. I, ha I definitely have, um, but I'm not a regular. Okay. Yogi. For the most part, when you show up to a yoga boutique, a yoga studio or a gym to take a yoga class, the instructor will take you through a series of sequences of postures most of those postures they're based on, on uh, 
your ability to be able to follow up and having an able body. And the assumption for the most part is that it's the person who shows up to the yoga class is going to be able to follow up the teacher through whatever sequence. It's not a practice designed for someone who might be dealing with a health condition. It's not designed for someone who might be not the perfect body or the perfect standards of body, someone who has a lot of abundance around the abdomen or around the back of the belly. And so when you take a trauma-informed yoga, you teach, you actually teach a class where you give your student the possibility of choose what postures they want to explore. And instead of being interested in a student to accomplish a shape as the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal of trauma-informed yoga is for someone who's processing trauma, whether from childhood, whether because they come from war, maybe because they suffer from sexual abuse, or the trauma of everyday life, you're offering the movements and the postures as a way for them to feel comfortable in their bodies. Because what happens when you're experiencing a traumatic situation, you no longer feel safe. And you no longer feel safe on your body. You don't feel safe being around people. And so trauma-informed yoga is not postural, is not goal-oriented. I still teach trauma-informed classes when I'm teaching my regular classes, but I'm extremely aware of the power of my words. I know that for someone who was sexually abused in the past, if I use a specific word that can trigger something in their minds, that can therefore trigger something on the nervous system. So trauma-informed yoga, it's a type of yoga where you're extremely conscious of the reality of humanity, of the, the experiences that we go through. And, you're, and, and you, your intention is to make the class accessible for everyone. It tries to, intends to slow down your nervous system because what happens when you go through very difficult traumatic situations, your nervous system gets accelerated and you're always in a, in a state of arousal or fight or flight. And so you're always trying through the use of words and mindful silence to give your students the possibility of feel home on their bodies. It's a type of practice that for the most part, we don't do hands on, we don't touch. Touch is a beautiful thing, hugging, kissing, but when you're talking about specific demographics that have experienced trauma, many times that trauma could be related to inappropriate touch. So a lot of teachers think that because they know how to adjust someone in a pose for them, for the student to feel the pose in a deeper way, the common misbelief is that you're making a, a, a favor to your student but what about if I approach someone who comes from a history, I don't know, of domestic violence? 
and I put my hands and that person gets care, immediately the tr that person nervous system has been, uh, the level of relaxation has been interrupted. Her mind might have gone immediately without even processing to that situation of domestic abuse. And so we're very mindful of the realities that we go through life. How are you working right now and how has your business been impacted or changing due to COVID-19 being that mm. yoga is typically a practice that is practiced with people in person? Yeah. On the, on the nonprofit side, we very quickly, we understood that we didn't want to lose the connection to all the homeless shelters and to the first responders. So right away, when, when things started to get serious, we switched to an online model, which means that to each of the organizations or agencies that we work with, for each of them, we have a contact person and we deliver directly to them uh, a link with a series of videos that I have recorded and my husband have recorded. And those videos, uh, they range from mindfulness, from yoga, uh, uh, breathing, uh, how to change your mood in a minute. They're designed mainly for, for people who are on the front of the lines at this moment. And so we send uh, to each of the organizations that we work with those tutorials. So that way the person in charge can um, distribute that through their internal email or whatever messaging system they have for the employees, for the first responders, for the firefighters to be able to do that whenever they feel they need to, whether they're at work or whether they're home. And I'm sure that's so beneficial to first responders right now. Yes, yes. We had great feedback and we continue to do that. And that's what we're doing with Rosemary, actually, with 305 Pink Pack. And also a couple of schools have reached out to us. And that's our next step. We had a meeting this morning with uh, uh, a child therapist, and we're trying to see how can we offer something for not only the, the parents, but also for the teachers, regardless if the school's open or not. Now, at a personal level, it's been um, very interesting because uh, my main employer, which is Equinox, has opened the clubs here in Florida. So I'm teaching a few classes in there. I don't know for how long, considering how everything is moving in, in Florida. But what we have done over the last couple of months is offer classes online. And we created Warrior Flow TV, which is a subscription-based platform uh, for nine, uh, $9, excuse me, $11 a month and $99 a year that you can subscribe not only for yoga, but for fitness classes, meditation classes, boot camp classes, and for uh, anyone who subscribes to Warrior Flow TV, proceeds some proceeds from the, the subscription they go directly back to the foundation, which allows us to give these online programs free of cost to those agencies who they really need the help. That's beautiful. So Thank we'll you. definitely link to that below in the show notes so that people can, I mean, and really, I mean, that's a, 
it's a great price for those online fitness and yoga classes that frankly we all can use and benefit from right now and it's also going to a great cause because you're able to provide those to first responders who need it as well right now free of charge so that's beautiful um is there anything well tell people how they can find you learn more about you um i'm everywhere on the social media <laughs> ages look for warrior flow our main account is warrior flow official there's the personal account adrian molina official and we do have a foundation account on instagram that is uh, the warrior flow foundation and so we do a lot of events in the in the, in the in miami lincoln road 11 11 lincoln road uh, we do a big event every full moon uh, not now for obvious reasons, <laughs> but um, anything that we do, it's always on Facebook and social media um, and they can always reach, reach with any questions. Awesome. Yeah. We'll make sure to link to that below and, and thank you so much and thank you for the work that you do. Thank you, Tamika. Thank you for this opportunity of sharing about it. I appreciate that. Adrian's information is all right below in the show notes. Make sure you find them, connect with him you know, check out some of his classes, the yoga and fitness classes that are online. They're a great price. And when you buy them, you are benefiting first responders who really need access to these, who can have access to them for free, thanks to the work that he's doing. So make sure you find him and connect with him there. I want to thank you again for coming back each and every week and listening to this podcast. So I'd ask you to please go ahead, hit subscribe on YouTube, connect with me on LinkedIn, and also leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd love to hear what you think. And leave me an honest review because your feedback helps me improve the show each week. So until I see you back next week, because I know you'll be back, I hope you stay happy and stay healthy.